in a world of slick, chatty podcasts, in an online media environment where stars are made overnight. One man attempts to buck the trend. Working alone, his podcasts never earn him money, but he does have a very particular set of skills. Skills acquired over a very long career. Skills that make his podcast stand out from the crowd. One man, many voices. History will change before your very ears. Podcast posting occasionally erratic. Listening for long periods will not harm your earwax. Happy to accept a serious commission from BBC Radio 4. Terms and conditions don't apply. Or do they? How's it going? You look like you could use a pint. I could. I really could. Phew. I've just been to vote. Oh, right, right. Already did mine. Postal vote. Oh, I didn't know you could do it at the post office. I'd have gone there if I'd known. <laughs> could have bought some wrapping paper. No, no, you don't go to the post office. It's a... Oh, never mind. It can't have been that arduous to cast your vote, surely. You look done in, mate. I'll tell you what, I was shocked, Ron. Shocked. You know how when you go to the supermarket, you get those people with their little free samples? Oh, yeah, the little stalls with the cheese on sticks and the little paper cups of cordial and stuff. That's them, Ron. That's them. Well, they wouldn't have them at a polling station, mate. Did you use the sat-nav on your phone again and get your postcode wrong? Now, Ron, I went to exercise my demon-cracking rights, and I went to the right place this time. <laughs> it's amazing how similar the pencils are in Argos. Uh, it's democratic, mate, but I kind of see where you're coming from. So, uh, why all the high drama? Well, one or two of the parties had a little stall outside. Very polite they were, quite understated. Anyhow, they beckoned me over. Said I could get a free sample of how life was going to be if I voted for them. Actually, the first lot were a bit arrogant. Said it was pretty much a certainty they'd get into power anyway. Well, I was intrigued. Yeah, you would be. Anyone would be. Free samples can be very alluring. They can, Ron. They can. So, what was the nature of those samples? Well, the people on the first stall asked me, did I claim benefits? I said yes. They went online using a tablet and stopped them, Ron. I was astounded. Well, is that how things will be, I quizzed them. Sort of, they replied. They asked me where I'd got my walking stick from. You know, the one the doctor said I could get on the NHS. Nice stick, that. Very useful to someone with your disability. Exactly. They took it off me, Ron. Said I'd have to buy me own if they got into power. But you can hardly walk without your stick. I know, Ron. I know. Well, as luck would have it, the lovely people on the stall opposite, they offered me a brand new one to replace it. Said that whoever followed them would sort it out. <laughs> Eventually. Well, next I was asked about me shopping, Ron. My Tesco Essentials groceries and me package of string vests. I was open and honest and I let them have a gander. They checked the receipt and do you know what? 
They demanded cash right there and then. Extra taxation, they said. That makes my blood boil, that does. That's what I told them. Well, they said it would save me money on my energy bills in the winter time. And they cut my allowances. It's inhuman. Totally evil. I hope that's all they did. Well, someone from another store gave me some humours on a cracker and told me to calm down as my boiling blood was contributing to the climate change effect. Well, I was going to have a sip of my bottled water when this bloke decked out in Union Jacks came running over and snatched it away. No French water allowed, he says, and probably hands me a mug of tea. Surely that defeats the aim. I know, Ron. I know. Well, next, the first lot that I've been talking to, they insisted that I was strip-searched for explosives, had my DNA and fingerprints taken and registered, and then they demanded to see my passport. I told them I'd lost my passport during that booze cruise to Southend. You remember, Ron? I told you then, and I'm telling you now. You don't need a passport to get into the amusement arcades. It was your own fault when you fell into that grabber machine. It'll take fingers nimbler than mine to make that claw thing retrieve it. Well, they said that without my passport, I could be an illegal immigrant with designs on a green card. I told them I was from Smallleaf, but they wouldn't have it. So did you get to vote? Well, some Russian fella did it for me. Said it would save time while they ran some tests on my BMI. Apparently, they're going to bring in something called the anatomy charge, a body tax or something. Oh, they also took my bus fares off me and said that they had to put that towards some kind of gift to persuade some buddies they didn't really like to help them out with a few things. Oh yeah, and my therapy sessions and medication are being cut too. But then... The people on the stall opposite, they gave me a voucher for free bus travel, a box of free medication, no questions asked, and the fella in the Union Jacks told me to eat more suet pudding because that was British, and never mind the weight. All very confusing. And what was the upshot of the whole passport fiasco? Oh, that. Oh, well, I'm being deported next week. Apparently, once Brexit is sorted out, I might be able to come back to pick strawberries. I hate strawberries. They bring me out in a rash. Oh, well, best get you a pint in before you have to leave. This politics lock gives you egg of a thirst. I can see why that Nigel Farage always has a pint handy. The Richard Usher Podcast. Assorted audio antics from Larynx Productions. Written and presented by Richard Usher. Shall I compare thee to a summer's day? A little unfair, especially in Britain. The weather keeps changing, for goodness sake. Old Shakespeare was pretty much saying that the focus of his 18th sonnet was given to mood swings. And so, welcome to this, the 15th podcast, featuring Twistery Aplenty. And it is a kind of double bill, as we cover the months of May and June. And we shall begin as the rough winds do shake the darling buds of May, with our first bit of On This Day style twistery and the anniversary of the invention of the odometer by the Mormon pioneer William Clayton back on the 12th of May 1847. Now, an odometer was an early roadometer 
used during the crossing of the plains from Missouri to Utah and was attached to a wagon wheel to count the revolutions of the wheel as the wagon travelled. 355, 356... What you doing, Brother Clayton? Darn, darn it, you've made me lose my rhythm. As it happens, Brother Pratt, I was counting the revolutions of this here wagon wheel. Why in the world would you do such a thing, Brother Clayton? Is it Sister Mary plaguing your mind again? Has the Lord given thee a worthy mission to cleanse the spirit? Why ever would you think such a thing, Brother Pratt? I am pure of mind and body. Besides, I already have nine wives to keep me on the straight and narrow. <laughs> so uh, why the number in, Brother Clayton? It ain't to keep you from sinful ways. Huh? I'm kind of glad you asked me that, Brother Pratt, being as this is the last day of my counting duties. In order to keep an accurate record of our journey, I, I needed to note down our mileage. And to that end, I tied that red cloth to that wheel. Now, uh, I figure, ooh, 360 turns of that wheel equals a mile. I get you. So... Why, why you end in the practice today? Brother Harmon has created me an odometer, a gadget he will fix the wheel uh, to do the job for me. Oh, oh my, I'll dump a new apron. Oops. What you doing, brothers? Oh, sorry, Sister Mary. <laughs> you blocked me from my uh, spittoon. I was just telling Brother Pratt here about my new odometer. It'll count the revolutions of uh, that there wheel and keep an accurate record of the miles we travel. Why on earth would he want to do that? For his journal. He notes down everything in his journal. Well, Brother Harmon made me an odometer to help me avoid lunatics. And right about now, it's given a pretty clear reading. Oops, begging your pardon, sister. <laughs> the Western Adventures of William Clayton and Orson Pratt. Not exactly bonanza, uh, but you can't have everything in life. I mean, where would you put it? Moving on in the merry month of May, we now pay a visit to Botany Bay in 1787, along with some convicts. Come in! <laughs> One, two, one, two, get those legs shuffling. Good morning, Captain, sir. Morning, Mackay. What can I do for you? Who are these men? Two of the scurvy inmates we set off with this morning, sir. They were found trying to escape. My, my. You men know the penalty for escape attempts. You'll get lashings, you know. A sheep's croak, sir. That's very kind. Ain't that kind? It sure is. Less of the funny stuff, you men. How on earth was this allowed to happen, Mackay? Oh, we weren't allowed, Captain. No? That's why Mr Mackay was so upset. Shut up, you men. Well, sir, they were on kitchen duties below decks and momentarily left to their own devices and without their chains, sir, they made their bid for freedom whilst peeling the Jersey Royal. So they, they tried to jump overboard? Oh, no, sir. Much more cunning than that. They tried to tunnel their way out. Tunnel? You mean... Oh, oh no. You buffoon, Mackay! Botany Bay. Botany Bay. 
Oh, no. <clears throat> uh, the uh, On This Day take on the anniversary of Captain Arthur Phillips' departure for Australia as commander of the First Fleet, a fleet of 11 ships carrying convicts to the new world down under. Now, one man who has his fair share of problems down under... Uh, no, 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 no. Uh, a man who has his share of troubles in life during the summer months is that legend of the stand-up circuit, Ben Bernard. Blog off Ben Bernard. Summer loving. Oh, hello. <laughs> You've caught me on a break. Well, more of a lull, to be honest. Ah, yeah. Summer is here and the uh, work and booking soon start to dry up. <laughs> Just like the plants in the window box in this patio garden. <laughs> At least uh, that's what dear old Mar Mills has christened it. Oh yes, just like the finest of establishments, uh, Mars Bar now has an outside dining area. Well, at least a, a couple of tables rescued from the local tip and uh, some chairs he's had reupholstered using cut-out bits of ironing board covers, an industrial stapler and some insulation tape. It's um, surprisingly comfortable, but uh, Mars Bar isn't exactly Riggs, and, and Cleethorpe's isn't Casablanca. Uh, still, if the big boys in town can upcycle a bank to become a bar over in Grimsby Town Centre, well, why shouldn't old Mar Mills have a go at tarting up the backyard and the outside privy? That's the uh, Alfresco bar now. <laughs> He's kept the bog, mind you. He needs somewhere to sit. Poor Mar isn't getting any younger. Aye. <laughs> The summer months bring out that insane desire to get out under the ultraviolet rays of the red hot sun, when it's there, and breathe in all those life-depleting pollutants. Eee, mankind has made a cracking job of the old earth, hasn't he? <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm not turning into uh, some of them beardy-weirdy compost-filling greenies that you see around the place. Uh, I, I just empathise with them. When I was a nipper, most kids would be out on the beach getting burned to a crisp. Even today, you meet some 12-year-olds with a face more grizzled than Chet Baker's was in his latter years, and all because of a suntan. I use my time more wisely, staying put in the shade to preserve my skin and painting up some toy soldiers or reading comic books, then popping out for the last few rays of sunshine while scouring the beach for treasures dropped by the masses with me old dad's trusty World War II minesweeper. Eee. I, I just don't get the summer. Costs a chuffing fortune paying for hay fever remedies, tissues, sunblock, insect repellent, and then all the petrol you waste getting stuck in queues of slow-moving traffic trying to placate your nearest and dearest who have been nattering about going out for the day. And don't get me started on water usage. Oh, goes through the roof. Not only are you trying to stay hydrated and keep the garden alive, you have to take a dozen showers a day or you become a social pariah. And then because your neighbours decide that their insatiable desire for burly cooked meat with a coated of charcoal is more important than having the decency to warn you to take your washing in, you end up running the washing machine three times over. It's that, or spend the summer smelling like a badly grilled sausage. I'm thinking about buying one of them drones attaching a sprinkler system, then disguising it with cotton wool to make it look like a cloud. The moment someone starts up a barbecue, 
I'll send it hovering over and give him an unexpected rainstorm. Eee, that'll learn him. Summer Loving was written, performed, edited and produced by Richard Usher. Blog Off Ben Bernard is a Larynx production. <laughs> ah, gentlemen, thank you all for coming along today. Now, as you know, for some time I've, I've been postulating. We know you have, you filthy old goat. <laughs> <laughs> I, I observe, gentlemen, some of the local milkmaids. Hear that, chaps? He had a good old postulate whilst observing the milkmaids. (laughs) (laughs) As I say, gentlemen, these milkmaids appear to be immune to the smallpox. I reason that there is something in the pus and the blisters they get from cowpox that somehow protects them from the smallpox. Now, I've invited you all here today to witness my efforts at testing this hypothesis using this hypodermic, this eight-year-old boy, and this cow called Blossom. <laughs> you certainly live a full life, Jenna. What's <laughs> <laughs> your name, young man? Phipps, sir. James Phipps. Now, James, you may feel a little prick. <laughs> Bet you said the same to those milkmaids, what? <laughs> <laughs> we are being very generous to you. <clears throat> Yes, well, uh, a little twistery take on the anniversary of Edward Jenner administering the first smallpox vaccination back on the 14th of May, 1796. Uh, Leaping forward to the mid-19th century now, we take a trip to New York, where we celebrate the birth of the writer behind many fantasy novels, including 14 set in the magical land of Oz. Oh, look, Benjamin. All these lovely gifts for little Frank. Yes, Cynthia, uh, assembly charming. Now, uh, we don't want them cluttering up the room. Uh, pass them a bow. Very well. Oh, look, some lovely ruby red boutines. Look, Frank, from Auntie M. Put them somewhere nice, Butterworth. <laughs> I will, I will. What in tarnation are these? Little yellow building bricks? Put those in the nursery, Butterworth. I will, I will. What do we do with these? Little embroidered hearts. Put them up, put them up. Oh, and look, a little dog, too. Don't give him a toy dog. He tore it away from limb. listening to the early summer double bill edition of the Richard Usher podcast, featuring events from May and June across the centuries. You just heard our twistery take on the birth of the fantasy author L. Frank Baum in New York on the 15th of May 1856. Next we focus, and yes the pun is intended, we focus on the Hubble Space Telescope. On the 20th of May 1990, the world's first space telescope, named after the American astronomer Edwin Hubble, uh, sent back its first photographic images. However, there was a problem with these first photographs, which were very fuzzy and almost useless due to Hubble's main mirror developing a defect. Welcome to another edition of the Sky Diet. It's a very exciting programme we have for you. First of all, thank you to all 
viewers who sent in their recommendations for uh, washing off the black wing from one my eye uh, after that unfortunate incident on our April 1st edition. <laughs> Rest assured, no practical jokes this time around. Uh, for this edition of Scott Night, I have with me in my study Professor Ivor Biggin, <laughs> lead astronomer on the exciting new uh, Hubble Space Telescope project. Uh, Professor Biggin, the uh, images we're getting back from Hubble are fascinating, are they not? Oh, oh yes, indeed, yes. The uh, Hubble Space Telescope uh, imaging exceeds many of the uh, best ground-based telescopes, and we've managed to obtain some startling images. Yes, and we're all particularly keen uh, to see clearly, perhaps for the first time, the stars in the Carina Cluster. Uh, yes. Excellent. Well? Uh, yes. Well, can we see them? Oh, I'm so sorry. Um, we don't have the images. Uh, boots were closed by the time I got there. <laughs> uh, pardon me, uh, Fred the Sandwich, uh, Manchester Echo. Uh, you must be very uh, excited by this uh, royal opening, uh, Mr. Mayor. Oh, indeed, yes. A very special day. <laughs> Manchester City Council has spent uh, £10,000 on decorating our our fine city. (laughs) Or rather, creating the uh, cardboard facades to make it look uh, like a fine city. (laughs) Sour's ears and all that, what? (laughs) And Her uh, Majesty uh, Queen Victoria uh, carrying out the grand unveiling, uh, you must be uh, very proud. Oh, yes, indeed we are, yes. <laughs> the moment our queen uh, breaks the bottle uh, that releases the tarpaulins uh, covering this wonderful canal uh, will be a, a memory to treasure for me and our chief project engineer here, uh, Mr. Edward Leader Williams. Uh, isn't that right, Williams? Williams! I say, isn't that right? He's a little hard of hearing. gives us great pleasure to declare the Manchester Ship Canal officially open. Oh, what is that awful call? Williams, what have you done, sir? I said Ship Canal. The Manchester Ship Canal, causing a bit of a stink back on the 21st of May 1894, when it was officially opened by Queen Victoria. The inland waterway stretches for around 36 miles and starts at the Mersey Estuary near Liverpool. This isn't just mindless entertainment, you know. Now, from canals to cakes and the anniversary of the defeat of the Danes by Saxon King Alfred the Great on the 23rd of May 878. An event that also gave rise to a legendary tale connected to the great monarch. A great day, a great battle, and a monumental victory for our forces! And great kudos to your triumph, my lord. The scumbag leader of the Danes is fettered in our English chains, forged by the Royal Armourer, 
All hail the English chains! All hail the armourer! All hail the English chains! All hail the armourer! Sorry about that, Your Majesty. Uh, oi! Oi! Royal Armourer! Yes? Oh, my fleet <laughs> The Danish leader is no scumbag soldier. This Guthrum is a king, a noble warrior indeed. Sir, we are magnanimous in victory. You shall be our guest at feast. Please enter our royal tent. with a serving of root vegetables in a honey mead glaze. And for dessert, a traditional Saxon souffle. Your Majesty, what, what's that? What's that smell? Oh, Christ! The cakes! The cakes! That soups! It's ruined! The cakes are charred! The beef casserole is overdone! And as for the souffle! Victory feasting! Doesn't get tougher than this. It's the Richard Usher Podcast, a mass of twistery tales to inform and entertain. We move into the month of June and the anniversary of the American scientist and politician Benjamin Franklin flying a kite to test the theory that lightning was a form of electricity on the 5th of June, 1752. Well, here we are, my boy. I said we'd find shelter. But it's raining, Daddy. Why did we have to walk across all these fields in such a storm? To fly a kite, my dear William. I wish to test a theory. You need your head tested. That's what you need. Now listen, my boy. You know how long I've been trying to find a way to prove that lightning is really electricity. They're so similar in color, they're unpredictable direction and uh, that crackling noise. <laughs> if you ask me, that crackling noise is your brain drying up. Ye of little faith, I have devised an experiment in which I shall fly this here kite made from a silk handkerchief and these strips of cedar wood. I know how to make a kite farther. I also know how to win at cards, which is what I was doing before you dragged me out in the rain. Now, what I intend is to fly this kite up into these storm clouds. These strings you see here are attached to a conductor, and this thing here, this uh, light jar, uh, to store any electrical charges. Oh, oh here, here we go. Yeah, yeah, great fun, Dad. Can I go home now? I'm so through. Oh, sure, but I uh, locked up the house. Uh, you'll need that key down there. This one? Yep, it 
There's definitely electricity up there. <laughs> June is certainly a good month for famous discoveries, and our next tale is set on the high seas, some 18 years after Mr Franklin was shocking the world with his scientific breakthroughs. Ah, ahoy there, number one. A fine day to be at sea, is it not? Hoy, hmm? sir, a fine day aboard a fine vessel. And the wind be at our backs. Ah, yes, that'll be the uh, dried fruit in the rations. <laughs> How far off land, number one? Oh, you just consult the prat now, Captain. How far to dry land, Perkins? One hour, fifteen minutes. In five nautical miles, turn to port. Good work, number one. Now keep an eye peeled for something called the Great Barrier Reef. <laughs> Supposed to be a bit of a marvel. I think we just found it, Captain. Oh, I say. There seems to be a fellow in the water down there. Ahoy there! I'm in trouble! I've got a bleed headache. That's what I've got, mate. Here I was, having a nice holiday, scuba diving, and some great clock drops a bleeding great ship on me head. Terribly sorry. We're on a voyage of exploration. I'm Captain James Cook. You may have heard of me. Nah, but I've heard of Thomas Cook. And soon as I get back to shore, you'll be hearing from me. The dangers of summer travel, beautifully illustrated there by our twistery take on the discovery by Captain Cook of the Great Barrier Reef on the 11th of June, 1770. As you may have gathered, the discovery was made when Cook's ship, the Endeavour, ran aground on the reef during his voyage in search of the fabled southern continent and became stuck for an entire day. The crew finally got their ship free by throwing 50 tonnes of cargo overboard. That's a lot of duty-free. Well, from a captain to a legendary general, and the anniversary of the infamous Battle of the Little Bighorn in Montana on the 25th of June, 1876. Darn these redskins. They're everywhere. They've managed to cut off most of our retreats, General. We're pinned down here on this bluff. That's a darn shame. I've always wanted to be a pin-up. I've got the hair for it. These engines get you, General, and your golden locks are gone for sure. Soldier, the tribal custom of taking the scalp is why they'll always be barbarians. Come to think of it, they should be barber arrogance. <laughs> General, sir, this is no time for humor. We're fighting for a lie. Soldier, it's the perfect time. Hand me that megaphone. Yo, folks, you're about the three Native Americans who walked into a saloon? <laughs> it sure hurt him. <laughs> See, he's more used to buffalo hide wigwams. And where's the buffalo hide? <laughs> Far away from here, if he's got any sense. It's working, General, sir. You've got him distracted. Say, my cousin John wrote this newspaper column about Big Chief Sitting Bull. He wrote all sorts of lies about the great chief and old Sitting Bull. <laughs> he wasn't happy at all. 
gets his liars to send John a cease and desist letter. But John, he just carries on. What'll he do, says John? Sue me? <laughs> hey, you know what they call an Apache with a tomahawk in his head? Oh, everyone's a critic. <laughs> Guess that'll go down in history as Custer's last stand-up. Oddly enough, George Armstrong Custer was actually a lieutenant colonel, or lieutenant colonel, but history remembers him best as General Custer. As to whether he was a hero or a villain is still subject to debate by some. And on that very same note, we head to our final piece of twistery for this edition, and another historic figure portrayed as either a hero or a villainous murderer, depending on your point of view. On the 26th of June in 1483, King Richard III usurped his nephew, Edward V. Having been named Lord Protector of the Realm, Richard escorted his nephew to the Tower of London, later joined by his brother. The two boys later disappeared from the Tower, believed to have been murdered by their uncle. Although the debate on the incident certainly continues. Until next time, cheerio! 400,000... 400,001. 400... Four hundred. <clears throat> uh, one moment. Make a note of where we got to. We don't want to lose count. Uh, come in. Your Grace, Your Grace. Uh, his Majesty is missing. Oh, dear. My nephew, King Edward, missing, you say? However did that happen? He, he was playing chess with his brother three days ago, and I am told they were last seen heading off to see your grace. Oh, yes, of course. I remember now. The court treasurer and I were busy keeping the royal accounts when uh, they came bounding along here, begging me to join in with their silly games. <laughs> I told them I didn't have time. But they were so insistent. May I ask uh, what, what it was they wished to play with, Your Grace? Hide and seek. Uh, hide and seek, Your Grace? Yes. They ran off towards the tower. And I told them I'd start looking for them once I'd uh, counted these coins. My word. I'd clean forgotten. I do hope they're all right. We've been keeping this tally for days. Well, if they don't come back in a day or two, let me know. Uh, I suppose I could take over as king for a bit. Indeed, Your Grace, most kind. Uh, it may not come to that. I, I believe I know where they might be. I've I got a little hunch. Ah, you and me both. Uh, and how are the royal accounts, Your Grace? Are the taxes flooding in? I think it will be a summer of great content. <laughs> you could say we've made a bit of a killing. <laughs> you have been enduring the award-avoiding Richard Usher podcast. Written, performed, edited and produced by Richard Usher. Jazz comedy theme courtesy of bensound.com. The Richard Usher podcast is a larynx production.